All right. Good morning. Good morning. All right. How's everybody? Good. Good. Hey, we want to welcome you guys to Holly Springs. Uh, thank you for venturing out in the rain. Uh, during Connect Group, we heard the thunder roll in. Uh, speaking of Connect Groups, I don't know if you know this, but we have Connect Groups for all ages. They start at 9 o'clock in the morning on Sundays. If you want to come, check it out. It's amazing. We'll get you connected with that. Uh, we'd love to have you. There are a few things I want to make you aware of this morning. Um, obviously, we are kind of in a construction zone, right? Um, we have done a lot this past week. Lots of men and women have come in throughout the week and helped us get to where we are. Uh, we are also kicking off VBS tonight, which is, as you can tell, a construction scene as well. So we thought it would be appropriate to just tear into the sanctuary and make it all look amazing for VBS. So if you have not registered for VBS, you can still do that, um, or you can get registered tonight as you uh, come. So we'll kick off tonight at 530 and uh, go till Wednesday, and it's going to be an incredible time. Uh, we also want to make you aware this morning is the first Sunday of the month where we have our first fruits. And so we're going to invite our children here in a little bit to bring their tithes and offerings up to the front and uh, pass them off as they head off to Children's Church. And then uh, they'll be gone for the rest of the service. I want to make you aware of a couple more things as well. Over the past few weeks, as we've kind of ventured out into this, the remodel of the sanctuary Bobby made mention last week uh, that we've had about $20,000 or so that has come in uh, from individuals outside of our church that have said, we want to give into this of what's happening within the, the remodel. And uh, we just want to make you aware of some, some things and some ways that you can kind of give back into that, um, kind of a pay it forward idea, if you will. And so in the back, there are some envelopes that have a building fund on them. Um, or you can just make a check out to the church and, and write on the memo um, remodel or building project or whatever. Uh, but we want to just begin the process. We're not going to do this every week. Uh, we want to begin the process of challenging you as a church to give into what's happening uh, within the sanctuary. And um, we are doing pretty well with the funds that have been given, uh, but there's a lot of things that we can continue to accomplish and get done uh, with the help of our, our congregation giving in to, to what the Lord's doing here. So if you're a visitor with us this morning in the bulletin, uh, we would ask for you to just take a moment as we begin worship here in a moment to just fill that out for us. Uh, there's a, a spot on the inside. We'd love to have a record uh, so that we can get in contact with you and just visit with you uh, about your church and, and about what's happening here and ways that you can get connected and you can drop that off in the giving boxes in the back. Um, they're not fixed to the walls because we're redoing them, uh, but they are in the back uh, as well as dropping off your tithes and offerings and, and that. Unless you feel like a kid and you want to bring your tithes and offerings to the front, you can do that here in a little bit too. So, um, But as we begin the process this morning of getting ready to worship, man, I just I can't help but with the understanding as we've been kind of working this week and, and working with Jason and, and all these guys that have really kind of worked uh, really, really hard this week. But to get to this moment right now and just, I don't know, um, fix our hearts in a manner that, that when we come before the Lord, we're ready to give him our all. And, and I don't know where you're at this week. I don't know what has taken place. 
Um, I know that I'm, I'm tired. Um, much of our staff is tired. Uh, many of you are tired. And, and the rain doesn't help with that. I get it. But here's the thing. We serve a really big God. And that God is worthy of our praise. And we want to honor him this morning by singing to him. And so, uh, so no matter where you're at, no matter where your heart is, maybe you just need to take a few moments in this first song to just pray, cry out to the Lord. Um, allow him to bring you into his presence. And allow him through song uh, to just be honored by your singing. And so as you stand uh, this morning, let's join in with Jason and Jenny as they lead us in, in song. Higher than the rising 
Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your blessing and honor and power and God I pray that this morning we can just buy in to who you are we can believe in you that we can trust you and God that we can uh, just be filled with surrender in our hearts and we can lay it all down at your feet God you are worthy you are holy you are great you are good you are filled with freedom and 
in you. That's the only place that we can find it. God, help us to not believe the lies of this world, the temporary nature of this world. God, you are eternal. Nothing else is good. Help us to look to your scripture as nutrition for our lives, support, encouragement, exhortation. We thank you. We give you praise always. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jason. You may be seated. And children, you may come up to the front and give your offerings here. Miss Krista's here. So sweet to see our children doing this. We're trying to teach our children about the importance of giving and making sure that their offering is given. And since we don't pass an offering plate anymore, we know that many parents want to teach their children about giving, and so we're excited to be able to do this on the first Sunday of every month. Thank you, children. Thank you, Ms. Krista. If you have your Bibles, will you grab them and will you turn to the second chapter of Genesis as we continue our sermon series about countering the culture. Uh, this morning is Sermon 7 in the series. Let me go with the quick synopsis again, the cliff notes. Number one, the sermon we talked about at the very beginning, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Number two, we always speak the truth in love. I read a, a former college student that I, I knew very well, uh, and she's been out of college now for just a few years, but she was basically ripping the church for uh, sticking to the Bible, and she was talking about how uh, we, we just need to, to let go of some of the Bible and, and allow uh, the, the gay and lesbian and, and all that stuff to just be okay. Uh, in fact, the, the way she worded it was, it's really not a sin. We're just making that stuff up in, in the church. And uh, I, I just thought about that. I thought about how uh, she needs to hear the truth and love. Several people uh, agreed with her, but then there was several people who came back and spoke to her and said, listen, we, we can't make up what we want to believe and what we don't want to believe. So it's fascinating. If you don't believe that stuff is happening, you're just not paying attention right now. In fact, the, the third sermon that we talked about was how we don't believe in moralistic therapeutic deism, which is exactly where this young lady has gone to, which is basically we set the rules and we set the standards. God's there if we need him, but we don't need him most of the time, so we just kind of put him to the side. But the morals are kind of what we'll set, and we'll tell God what the morals are instead of believing what the Scripture is. And then fourth, we talked about how incredible incredibly important it is for us to put godly parenting practices into example by being godly examples to our children. Fifth, we talked about how the Bible is the truth. It doesn't have any error in it. Uh, we believe it completely from beginning to end. Uh, it's our rock. It's our foundation. It's our core belief system. And then last week, we talked about the importance of being faithful to your church and being faithful to discipleship because when you're faithful here and when you're faithful in learning God's word, then you can protect yourself from the outside world. We can't fight the culture war without being part of the church family and being disciples of Christ. And then 
This morning I want to talk to you about a very serious subject, uh, but before we do that, let me give you one example. I decided not to do two examples this morning because when I read this one example, I just it just kind of broke my heart, and so I thought this one's enough to break everybody's heart this morning. And you know this is going on. I mean, this is surely not a secret to you anymore. And, and, and these things that I share with you about failures within the church and failures outside the church and the world and how the secular world is just creeping in on us. But again, this stuff just breaks my heart every time I, I read it. But the latest is the Kellogg's Company. If you didn't know it, they're, they've created um, boxes. Uh, the statement that they made are that boxes are for cereal, not for people. In other words, you keep cereal in a box, but you don't keep people in a box. People can do whatever they want. And that's their latest slogan for diversity, equity, and inclusion. But also for the tables of the cereal for coast to coast. As Kellogg has grown its multi-year, so they formed a multi-year allyship with GLAD. And if you don't know what GLAD stands for, GLAD stands for the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Defense. The company hopes, this is the Kellogg's company, hopes to spread the word on how their partnership with GLAD will show its support for transgender and gender non-conforming communities. Kellogg's has a long-standing commitment to equity, diversity, and inclusion to our employees, our consumers, and the community, said Priscilla, and I'm probably mispronouncing this, but I think it's quarantine, and her job at the Kellogg's company is the vice president for talent and diversity. <laughs> new together with Pride Cereal, there's a new Pride Cereal, is our latest effort aligned with our purpose to create better days and a place at the table for everyone. In addition to the boxes or for cereal challenge, being proud of who you are is just not to confine to one month. And in case you did not know it, June is Pride Month, uh, celebrated all across the United States now. The first time I ever experienced it was when Laura and I, about 20 years ago, took a group of graduating seniors to Disney World as a graduation present. And we were in line at one of the rides uh, for Disney World, and there was a couple of guys that were in front of us that were holding hands together and being quite affectionate in front of this group of seniors that I had taken. And I looked at Laura and said, what the heck is going on? And uh, we began to notice over and over again on this weekend how there were a lot of gay people there who were very out in how they were acting at Disney World uh, that week and come to find out that Disney World celebrates the month of June as Gay uh, Pride Month at the month of June and they really celebrate it on the first week of June and we found ourselves in the middle of Disney World with, uh, you know, uh, the homosexual community. It was very disheartening and it was very difficult uh, to be there and, and kind of understand what was going on. So let me finish this 
last little paragraph. Kellogg's new Together with Pride cereal will create opportunities for homes and families to have conversations about the importance of acceptance, compassion, understanding, especially when it comes to LGBTQ youth. Kellogg's is not only building an ongoing commitment to support the LGBTQ community, but initiatives that spotlight the importance of using correct pronouns to create safe and welcoming space for the trans and non-binary youth of our world. So if you don't understand what's going on, basically Kellogg's is creating a cereal in its... Uh, it's a purple box that says together in pride. And the cereal that's in the box is supposed to be put on your breakfast table so you can have a conversation with your children about how important it is that we use correct pronouns. God, help us. Well, this morning, I, I want to share with you out of Genesis 2 about marriage and about how God has ordained marriage and how marriage is a beautiful way for a husband and wife to support each other and to fight this battle against the culture. There is no doubt that the world and the culture is fighting against godly marriages. You know that. You know that the culture is fighting against us having godly marriages. The secular world has discounted marriage into a legal contract that can and can be broken at just a, a moment's notice. Um, I have to tell you something. So, and I'll tell you this several times, probably during the part uh, this this sermon. But last night I helped in a, in a marriage ceremony, and um, so. A few days ago, the, the, the young man that, uh, in fact, Gary knows real well, he served here at uh, SFA BSM for a year, and then he went on to serve at the UTSA, I mean, sorry, UTA BSM for a while, and then he went as a journeyman uh, uh, to the uh, Southeast Asia area and served as a missionary for two years, and he came back, and now he is the director at uh, Wichita Falls, at the campus on Wichita Falls. He's the BSM director, his name is Keith Beanland, he's a great guy. Well, Keith called me this week. He was actually the one performing the ceremony. I just had a small role, which I will mention to you what my role was in just a minute. But I just had a small role. But um, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, I got a call from Keith, and he said, I need to ask you something. And I said, what's that? And he said, I'm performing this ceremony on Friday, and I didn't know Keith was the one doing it. And I said, you are? I said, that's cool. I had no idea you were doing it. And he said, I am. He said, here's my problem. And I said, you have a problem? What's the problem? And I thought he was getting ready to say, I can't be there, or I'm sick, or can you do this, or anything like that. But here's what he said. He said, I'm not licensed or ordained. And I didn't even think about it until they got their marriage license and it has a place on there for me to sign that says I'm the ordained minister who performed this ceremony. And I went, dude, you are in big trouble. <laughs> and we started talking about it and we laughed about it and he said, do you think I should like mail order off and get an ordination from one of those Amazon companies or something like that? I said, what a 
crummy idea that is to do that. And I said, no, nah, no. Nah. I said, really, we can work through this and everything. I said, you know, I'm going to be up there for five minutes doing my deal. I said, I can sign the license. And he went, oh, that's perfect. And so that's what ended up happening. But the reason I'm telling you that is because when I signed the license yesterday, I was signing the license so that the state would recognize the marriage. But it's not near as important that the state recognizes that they're married as the fact that they understand that God recognizes that they're married and that they were married before the eyes of God. Listen, I have to be honest with you because if I was telling the story on Keith and didn't tell a story on myself, I wouldn't be very fair. But when I was pretty new in the ministry and I'd done just a handful of weddings, I didn't know that it was my responsibility, and it's really not, but I didn't know it was my responsibility at least to make sure that the bride and groom had a marriage license. I thought everybody kind of knew that's their responsibility. You want to get married, you get a marriage license, and then you get married. So I performed a wedding ceremony, and I finished the wedding ceremony, and we were in the fellowship hall, and they were eating cake and drinking punch and everything, and I went to them, and I said, hey, I need to get your marriage license so that I can sign it and we can get it sent into the courthouse. And they both looked at me and said, marriage license? And I went, oh, you have got to be kidding me. And they said, we didn't know we were supposed to get a marriage license. And I just looked at them and I said, okay, here's the deal. You are married in the eyes of God. I married you. Go on your honeymoon. Have the best time ever. But when you get back here, you go to that courthouse and get a marriage license. And so that couple is the only couple that I've ever married that has two wedding anniversaries. <laughs> they have one this week and one the following week that the state recognizes. It's just kind of how the world is. But the, the world is that secular world. And they don't take marriage as seriously as God cause us to take marriage. Let me give you a little statistical knowledge before we dig into the scripture and kind of look at what I think God says about marriage. But you may not know this because a lot of people, especially over the last 20 and 30 years, and I would be even be one who was guilty of doing this, but a lot of people would quote you a statistic that 50% of marriages fall into divorce and fail. And a lot of people would tell you that 50% of Christian marriages fail at the same rate. And so a lot of people would stand in pulpits over the last 20 and 30 years and tell you, yes, thank you, Lord. Uh, they would tell you that statistically there's no difference between believers and non-believers when it comes to marriage permanence. And that is not true. I want you to hear this. The more committed you are, to Christ and his teachings, and the more you understand the biblical importance of marriage, the more committed you will likely be to your marriage. Even statistically, that's proven true. Let me share this with you. Those who are active in their church, the divorce rate is around 27% lower than those who don't go to church. Let me say that to you again, because I want to make sure you understand what I'm saying. That if you are a committed believer going to church on a regular basis, studying the Word of God, your chance 
for divorce is 27% lower than, let me make sure you hear this, than nominal Christians, those who simply call themselves Christians, are those who don't go to church at all. Let me make sure you understand that. So if you come to church kind of every once in a while, and you, or you maybe just call yourself a Christian, but you're not involved in church, you're not studying God's Word, you're not surrounding yourself with other believers, then your chance of being divorced is about the same as the rest of the secular world. It's about 50%. But if you call yourself a believer and you try as best you can to put those practices into place through discipleship, through church attendance, through prayer, through studying God's word, then you are 27% less likely to divorce. And that's, that's some great news for those of us who are believers, who are trying our best so just statistically speaking, the best thing you can do for your marriage, you know what it is? Be a follower of Christ. That's, that's the best thing you can do. The Bible teaches us that marriage is another way that we as believers, listen, can proclaim God's glory to the world. Did you know that's what your marriage is all about? You know, if you're like the world or if you're thinking like the world, your marriage is for your convenience. It's all about you. It's all about sex. It's all about maybe making more money. It's all about those kinds of things. But for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, our marriage is about proclaiming God's glory to the world. That's what we're supposed to do. Laura and I, what's our job in our marriage? Is to proclaim God's glory to the world. What's your marriage? What's it about? It's to proclaim God's glory to the world. But you know what we've done? Instead of making marriage about glorifying God, we've made marriage all about ourselves. What do I get out of marriage is what we say. Or how can I be fulfilled? And if I don't get what I want, you know what? I can just check out of this one and I can move on to another one. Saying that, let me make sure you hear me say this. I know without a doubt that I'm talking to people today who have been part of a marriage that didn't survive. And I know there are many people that are sitting here that have experienced the heartbreak and the pain of divorce. Listen, I can say this to you just like I can say it to any sinner, including myself, that God knows your pain and he is forgiving and he's merciful. And he understands your life. And my prayer for any of you that have gone through the pain of divorce is that you have also experienced the healing power and the forgiveness that only Jesus can give. And that you are either now experiencing the joy of walking in singleness or that God has brought you into a new relationship. And in that new relationship, you're experiencing the biblical understanding of marriage. Let's look at Genesis 2. In Genesis 2, I want you to start with me in verse 18. Genesis 2, verse 18, it says, The Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air, 
And he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and he closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife and they will become one Flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. I want you to hear me say three things this morning that this passage teaches us about marriage and how they are in direct opposition to what the world is trying to teach us in a secular fashion about marriage. This passage is so rich and so deep in theological significance. And here's the first thing I want you to notice about what it says about marriage. First, it teaches that marriage is a divine ordinance. When you look at the passage, it says that the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone, and I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. Listen, God created woman for man. It's a divine act. The act of marriage and the companionship that goes along with becoming a husband and wife is not an accident. It was created by God. Listen, listen. Marriage is not an invention of man. Marriage is ordained by God. And listen to me when I tell you this. Marriage cannot be changed by human intervention. This is what I'm telling all across the world and even in our own country right now, courts are actually trying to redefine what marriage is legally. Everybody in the whole world is trying to figure out how do we define marriage, but marriage has already been defined for us. It cannot be redefined spiritually. Man can't do it. God has said, and I believe it, and it's right there in the scripture, that a marriage is between one man and one woman, period. And that's all it is. That's marriage. It's a divine, biblical ordinance. And that's what we're taught in Genesis 2, is that God created one man for one woman. Secondly, it's important that you see that it teaches us about the concept of how both the man and woman are created in the image of God and that each of them complements the other. Look, it says in the scripture that, that God could find no suitable helpmate, that Adam was looking and there was no suitable helpmate. He'd seen all the animals, he'd named all the animals, but there was nobody to help him. And then God seeing that, caused him to fall into a sleep, and he created woman. Listen, that is just the understanding that God knows our needs. 
and that he created us in his image and that we have uniquely different roles. That's what it says here in Scripture. I can't change that. A man has his role and a woman has her role. And you can follow the science, as they say. Listen, I can't have a baby. It's impossible. And besides that, no man can have a baby. It's impossible. And one of the reasons this is impossible is because all men are wimps when it comes to having any kind of illness. And if you put a baby in a man, you might as well just kill him because he's not going to be able to make that baby happen. All right? We're just wimps. Biologically impossible and we are wimps. Put those two together. The wimp part isn't in the scripture, but I added it in for today. All right? Listen, the attempts of the world to redefine gender as not important. The Kellogg Company, they can't redefine gender for you or for me. It goes against the teaching of God. And you can't go against the teaching of God. I don't care what court says it, whether it's the Supreme Court of the United States or any court in France or Switzerland or anywhere else. They cannot define what a marriage is and what a man and a woman is. Listen, being, being a woman is not a punishment from God. Let me make sure you hear me say that. Being a woman is not a punishment from God. I don't believe that in any way, any way shape, or form. Hear me say this. And I, I'm talking about in the context of marriage how men and women complement each other. Don't confuse what I'm saying about roles and relationships with what a woman can achieve in their life. You and I know way too many women who are great doctors, great lawyers, great nurses, great mechanics, great pilots, you name it, a woman can do it. I totally believe that because I've seen it and I know it and I know a lot of women who are way smarter than me. But when it comes to marriage, there are defined roles within that marriage. And what I'm referring to here is how a male and a female were created for marriage in the overall plan of our Heavenly Father. And each of us has a role in that marriage. And that role is to complete our spouse and bring glory to God. One of the greatest joys that I have when I'm doing a marriage ceremony is talk to the husband and talk to the wife and say, uh, like in my case, if it was me and Laura, I would say, Bobby, your job is to complete Laura. And Laura, your job is to complete Bobby. And in this marriage, when you complete each other, then you are going to bring glory to God. If you've been married for very long, and you are in a Christian marriage, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there's things that your wife can do that you just can't do. Trust me, I know that. I, I have been there. When Laura and I first got married, she kept all the finances. You know why? Because I wasn't very good at financial things. But then the Lord invented the computer and QuickBooks and I'm really good at QuickBooks. And so all of a sudden, I became pretty good at finances. Do you know who does most of the finances now at our house? Me. Because 
I was able to learn and able to be given the gifts to be able to do that. We were laughing the other day because there was a bunch of guys up here doing all this construction. And I, th I think Jerry Phillips was up here vacuuming and Georgiana was in the back. And I said, Georgiana, go look in there. You need to go get a picture of that right there. And she, this is, this is, this is what she said to me. I don't need to get a picture of that. That's what he does at our house. And I went, are you kidding me? I just felt about that small because I don't think I've pushed a vacuum in our house in 30 years. But I was able to come back with her and I said, I do the laundry at our house, you know? <laughs> and she said, oh, he wouldn't touch that. And I said, there you go. See, we all complete each other. We all do that. And in doing so, we bring glory to God. Listen, the idea here is I'm not complete without Laura. Laura's not complete without me. We complete each other, and in turn, we bring glory to God. So I was doing this wedding. I, Laura and I got in at midnight last night after doing this marriage uh, wedding ceremony up in uh, north of um, uh, Jefferson in a little town called Linden. And one of the th things that they asked me to do, so I, I wasn't doing the main ceremony, but they said this. They said, hey... We want to do this one part of the ceremony, uh, and we want you and Laura to do it. And I said, what is that? And they said, we want you to guide us through washing each other's feet as a symbolism to the congregation that's watching, that's watching us, that we are going from this day that we become husband and wife, that we are going to serve each other. And then we want Laura to pray for us. Man, you talk about powerful. I've, I've done that about three or four times in wedding ceremonies. I had one of the grandmothers, a uh, 90-year-old grandmother, came up to me and, and said, have you ever seen that before? Have you ever done that before? And I said, only about two or three times. And she said, every marriage ought to have that as part of their ceremony. And I said, you know what? I, I tend to agree with you. Because if you're going to have a godly marriage, you've got to be willing to serve each other. And that's what Jesus did. Do you remember what happened in, in, in John uh, chapter 6? In John, John chapter 6, uh, Jesus knew he was going to the cross. He knew he was going to die for your salvation and for my salvation. And all of the disciples had been following him. They, they, they kind of understood what was going on. But disciples were being disciples, just like you and I are disciples. And they were still arguing some about who was going to be the greatest. And who did Jesus love the most out of all the disciples? And all that kind of snipping and sniping was going on. Not unusual, even not unusual in marriages. How You kind of snip and snipe at somebody and... Jesus, knowing he was going to the cross, he walked in with a bucket of water and a towel and he sat down in front of his disciples and started to wash their feet. And you must imagine if you can see that visually how their eyes must have grown about this big when they saw Jesus kneeling at their feet and washing 
their feet. In fact, one of the disciples said, don't touch my feet. I don't want you to wash my feet. And he said, if you don't let me wash your feet, if you don't let me serve you, then I'll have nothing to do with you. And that same disciple said, well, then wash every part of me. And Jesus said, I don't need to wash every part of you. You've had a bath, but what I'm showing you is what you are supposed to do to the rest of the world, which is to serve the rest of the world. Man, that made such an impact. And these, this young couple getting married chose to do that to say, this is how we choose to start our marriage, serving each other. All this brings to the third teaching of what I think this passage shows us, which is that marriage is a lifelong commitment. Look at verse 24. For this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The scripture says that those who marry become one flesh. When I perform a, a wedding, I usually talk about this passage and I talk about how the scripture says that you're supposed to leave your mother and father and cleave to your parent. I mean, sorry, to your spouse. And as you leave your mother and father, you know, it's that understanding of, and you've heard this, leaving and cleaving, leaving and cleaving. That word cleave in, in, in the, the, the Greek understanding, the, the Hebrew understanding of what that word cleave is, is that uh, the best described to me, it's, it's not, this is not a literal translation, you understand that, but the best understanding to me is super glue. And I tell couples that all the time. Have you ever, you know, put some super glue, you're trying to super glue something, you know, and you super glued it and maybe it ran over a little bit, you know, and so you, you reached down with your finger and, and you got it and tried to wipe it up because you forgot it was super glue. You know, you're just trying to wipe it up and so you, you wipe that little bit of super glue away and then you realize, oh my gosh, that's super glue. And so then you go trying to get the super glue, oh, I don't know if you're stupid like me and have done that kind of stuff or, <laughs> But I seriously, I mean, almost every time I use super glue, I get it on my finger and then I'm trying to get it off and I'm trying to rub it. And before long, my fingers are like that and I'm going, what the heck have I done? You know, and your only option, you know this, your only option is to rip your fingers apart and skin rips and I scream like a little girl and Laura goes, what did you do? And I go, nothing, nothing, I really didn't do anything. And then I look down at my finger and there's flesh that's missing. That's the idea behind the scripture that says, leave your father and your mother and cleave to each other. It's that this is not going to be broken. This is, is a permanent. I love what Keith said. I say it too when I do marriage. Uh, it's that idea of, listen, we're getting ready to say vows to each other. And it's important for you to understand that we're saying vows to each other, but it's important for you to understand that these vows aren't for the congregation. They get to hear you say it, but you're making a vow to God that you're going to leave your mother and your father and you're going to cleave to each other. And one of the two things that happened in my life, two of the many thousands of things that happened in my life that I'm grateful for with my marriage with Laura. But one of them is her mom. Uh, Laura told me this. I, I, I wasn't there when it happened. But her mom pulled Laura aside 
and said, I'm so thankful, I think she said that, that you're getting ready to marry Bobby. Uh, but I do know she said this. She said, you know, you're going to have some problems. You're going to have some issues. There's going to be some things that come up in your life and in your marriage. And, you know, it would be easy for you to just jump in the car and come home and, and uh, you know, be here with me and your dad. But you're not allowed to do that. She said, this is not your home anymore. Your home is with Bobby. And that's where you make your home. Boy, you talk about being grateful because I wasn't the easiest person to live with, if you can believe that, in the first few years of our marriage, and maybe even in the last few years of our marriage. But Laura never had the option of going home. And for that, I'm grateful. Here's the, the second thing. Uh, I, I just have to tell you this because it's funny. And there's a couple things. So um, last night when we were doing the wedding, the, Keith said to the dad, who gives this woman to marry this man? And he said, uh, her mother and I do. And then he walked straight up to the groom and he got right here. And all of a sudden, for about 45 seconds, he was reading him the riot act. Now, I have no idea what he said, but I could only imagine what he was saying to him. And all I could see was that groom going, yes, sir. Yes, sir, like that. And I thought, what a great deal for the dad to be able to do that. And like I said, I have no idea what he said. The best one I ever did uh, from my standpoint, who was, uh, so Dr. Reed, who was a pastor at First Baptist for 35 years or whatever, his daughter was getting married. And obviously, as a minister, you want the privilege of doing that ceremony. And he did, but he wanted to walk his daughter down the aisle too. So they came to me uh, because I loved Carrie, loved Dr. Reed. They came to me and said, would you do the first part of the ceremony until... I give her away, and then I'll take over and do the rest. And I said, sure. So we, she came walking down the aisle. He was escorting her down the aisle. She came down the aisle. I said a few words. We greeted the congregation, said, glad you're all here, and all that kind of stuff. And then I got to the part, and I said, who gives this woman to marry this man in holy matrimony? And Dr. Reed said, I officially take her hand out of my wallet, and I put it into his wallet like that. And I just went... What? <laughs> and the whole congregation busted out laughing. But it, it was the understanding, and this is why I wanted you to hear that. It's the understanding of you're leaving. And somebody else is responsible for you now. You're cleaving to your husband. So let me finish. Why talk about the importance of marriage and how it relates to combating against a culture? Here's why. A stable culture only happens with stable marriages and stable families. You want to know why our culture is falling apart? Do you want to know why secularism is going rampant? It's because marriages are falling apart and families are falling apart. And our Christian responsibility is to uphold the vision of marriage. A biblical marriage says what Paul stated in Ephesians 5, which is, the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
You know what your marriage ought to be and my marriage ought to be? It ought to be a mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I would love for people to look at Laura and I and go, man, I don't understand how they do that. I mean, seriously, I, I think people should look at Laura and I and should look at your husband and your wife and your marriages and they should go, man, I don't, I don't know how she puts up with him and how, how they get along with each other and how they've been so stable with all the things that have happened in their life and all the stuff that's going on. How does that work? And you know what? I would love for them to finally look at and grasp, which is there's no explanation except the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the only reason that their marriage could work. Man, nothing would thrill me more than for people to look at my marriage and say, you know the reason it works? is because Jesus makes it work. The world continues to bring confusion to the understanding of marriage. That's what the world's going to do till Jesus comes back. It's just going to bring confusion to marriage. But our ministry as believers is to shine the light of the truth and let our marriages uphold as an example of what it means to be followers of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, there's so many people within the sound of my voice either watching online or here today in person that have struggled with marriage. Father, I, I totally get that. Even myself have struggled with marriage. It's, it's not easy. Certainly one of the most difficult things that we as humans do is to form a companionship that we call marriage and live together all the days of our lives. God, first of all, we just want to thank you for being the, the great forgiver, the great grace giver, the great understander of when we fail. But God, I also want to thank you for being the light that upholds the standard of how we are supposed to live our lives. So Father, we just ask that you would make us as believers strong in our faith and strong in our marriages so that we could fight back against the evils that this world wants to throw against us. Father, we love you. We thank you. We look forward to celebrating our marriages until you call us home. And that's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a few moments, I'm going to ask you to stand as we'll sing again and worship the Lord. It's just an opportunity for you to respond. Maybe if the Lord's been speaking to you this morning, maybe you just want to come to the front here and kneel and spend some time in prayer. Maybe you want to grab your wife's hand or your husband's hand and just right where you are, just say a prayer. That'd be perfectly fine. Nobody's going to look at you any differently for doing that. Maybe you want to pray for somebody else's marriage that you know is in a tough place right now and need your prayers. Maybe you're looking for a church home and this might be the place where God is calling you to place your life. Maybe you don't know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you want to talk to somebody about that. Whatever God's laying on your heart, I pray that you would have the strength and the courage to make that decision as we stand together and as we sing with Jason and with Jenny.
Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small, child of weakness, watch and Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as Aren't you glad that Jesus paid it off? Let me share with you, it's been raining pretty hard since we've been in here. That's one of the reasons I went a little bit longer today trying to make the rain. No, I'm just teasing. I'm just, 
I go this long all the time. It's just a, but it has been raining hard. We have umbrellas at both doors, and we have deacons who are willing to walk you or your spouse to the car to go get it, to get it underneath the cover so that you can load your car and hopefully stay out of the rain. We want you to do that. Um, I don't know who's been praying for rain, but you need to stop and <laughs> give us a break for a little while. My goodness, it's crazy. Uh, you know, we'll all want this in August, but I'm, I'm tired of it now. So I hope that you have a wonderful afternoon. I hope to see you back here with your children and a whole lot of other children at 530 where we'll celebrate uh, and have vacation Bible school. This really is just an incredible week for us. So it's been two years since we've had vacation Bible school. And so this is a great opportunity for us uh, to uh, teach children about the love of Christ. So I hope we'll see you at 5.30 uh, tonight, tomorrow, Tuesday, and Wednesday as we celebrate uh, just how good God is. And as always, I'm super grateful for you and uh, for your love for the kingdom and everything. And one last time, before we go and before you make your way out, I just want to make sure that you know that for Coach Compton, I'm sorry, but we are, I'm not sorry, we are praying for you. Um, so if you didn't know it, if you've been hiding under a bushel, uh, our Garrison uh, High School baseball team is in the state playoffs, the final four teams. They go to Austin this week to play. And so uh, two great things about that, two great things. One is it's wonderful for our community, but two is it's wonderful to have a godly man who coaches them and who loves those men. And so for those two things, I'm grateful. And for those two reasons, I'm praying this week that they have a wonderful tournament. And no matter what happens, and I know Coach Compton believes this, to God be the glory, because he's been too good to us. All right? Y'all have a wonderful week. You're dismissed.